This morning we're going to return again to the book of Nehemiah, and we've been clipping along here pretty well the last few Sundays as we've gone a chapter at a time, and not to disappoint, we'll go one whole chapter again today. Now, it's we'll do much as we've done in the last two. We're not going to read the entirety of the chapter here. Um, in fact, chapter 12 starts with a a list of the Levites. Now, you may remember when we started the book of Nehemiah that Nehemiah represents what was the what's called the the third migration of the Jewish people from exile back to Jerusalem. That there had been a migration, first of all, under a man named Zerubbabel, which Ezra chapter one gives us the account of that. Then Ezra himself leads a group some years later. And then Nehemiah leads the third group. Now what you have here in chapter 12, it starts out here in chapter 12, verse 1, a list of the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel. And that first migration, that first return of the exiles to Jerusalem. And he gives that there, gives it here just to show the connection of where he is in Nehemiah's day. So you see, for example, in chapter in chapter one of chapter twelve, verse one, these are the priests, Levites, who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua. The first one there is Sariah. Now if you'll look over in verse number twelve of the same chapter, you see that in the days of Jehoiakim, which is the time of Nehemiah, Jehoiakim is the priest of Je- the days of Jehoiakim the priest, the heads of the father's households were, and there's that of Sariah. Okay, that Sariah is the same Sariah of chapter 12, verse 1. But what they're saying here is, these were the original Levites that came forth in that first group. But by the time of Jehoiakim, representative of Sariah is a man named Mariah. So you see what we're doing here? You have Sariah in verse 1, and representing the tribe of Sariah, or the group of Sariah, is Mariah. The next name in chapter 1, or chapter 12, verse 1, was Jeremiah. You go up to verse 12, representing that group, which was Jeremiah in that first migration. By the time of Jehoiakim, the one who represents that group is Hananiah. So that's the connection here between the first few verses and the next verses that follow here, the action doesn't really begin to take place until you get all the way down to verse 27. And so what you have here is something of a lengthy introduction in verses 1 through 26 of the genealogy of the Levites. Just so that you'll know there's a connection between those who are called to do the work of leading in this dedication of the wall. That's where we are today. The wall's completed. We've seen the revival in three chapters. The city is, there's been arrangements made for the repopulation that, that thrust us back all the way to chapter 7. Now we're finally getting to the point where we're going to look at where the completed wall is dedicated unto the Lord. But let's see how they do that. Verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places. So that's the reason you have verses 1 through 26 here. Who are these Levites? Well, this is who they are. Where do these Levites come from? That thrusts us back to the first part in chapter 12. They came from this group, and actually this group is given to us in other places as well. 
So they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might celebrate the dedication with gladness, with hymns of thanksgiving, and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals, harps, and lyres. So the sons of the singers were assembled from the district around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netophathites, from Beth Gilgal, and from their fields in Geba and Asmaveth. For the singers had built themselves villages, villages, <laughs> villages around Jerusalem. And the priests and the Levites purified themselves. They also purified the people, the gates, and the wall. Then I, of course, Nehemiah here, I had the leaders of Judah come up on top of the wall, and I appointed two great choirs. The first proceeded to the right on top of the wall toward the, the refuse gate. And then he lists everyone that's in this train, this choir, this group that goes around to the right. So they have, they've started this point of the wall. They're together and one group's going around this way. And then in verse 38, it says the second choir proceeded to the left. So they're going around this way while I followed them with the half of the people in the wall above the tower of furnaces to the broad wall. So they're going around the city of Jerusalem, around this completed wall. One group goes this way, one group goes this way, and they're coming back together at the temple. That's the picture of what's going on here. So he lists here, and again, we're not going to take the time to read all who's involved in this, in this, in this great train. Look down with me to verse 43. And on that day they offered great sacrifices and rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. On that day men were also appointed over the chambers for the stores, the contributions, the first fruits, the tithes to gather into them from the fields of the cities the portions required by the law for the priests and Levites. For Judah rejoiced over the priests and Levites who served. For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification, together with the singers and the gatekeepers, in accordance with the command of David and of his son Solomon. For in the days of David and Asaph in ancient times, there were leaders of the singers, songs of praise, and hymns of thanksgiving to God. So all Israel in the days of Zerubbabel and Nehemiah gave the portion to the singers and the gatekeepers as each day required and set apart the consecrated portion for the Levites. And the Levites set apart the consecrated portion for the sons of Aaron. This morning I want us to think about as we look at, consider the text here, something that has, is something of a mystery in how how we understand and how we define what joy is. And especially as we think about today, the title of the message, Joy for Worship. You know, where does joy come from? You know, can you be commanded to be joyful and all of a sudden the switch goes on and, and you're joyful? It's not a switch like that, is it? You know, it's something, it's something that, that arises within us and it's something that... It's, you don't really have control over this thing completely, do we? It's just like there's something of a mystery involved in this thing called joy. It's an, it's an inward response to 
good event. Something happens that, that we are glad, that we're delighted in. There's, there's the response that arises within us of joy. But, you know, can we force it or can we just produce this thing? Well, I want us to think about as we see the people today, as they are coming to worship the Lord, as they are coming to dedicate this wall to the Lord, the place of joy there, because of the people that they're aware of the truth that they are right with God. And being right with God, I think, helps us to reject or get beyond some of the wrong notions that we might have about Joy. Now, I confess to you, I went last weekend to hear John Piper speak down in Greenville, South Carolina, and it was on his book, which he has written, uh, When I Don't Desire God, How to Fight for Joy. And it was a, really, it was a, a weekend on joy in the life of a believer. And so I benefited from that. So I have the opportunity to share not a whole lot from that, but some of the things I will share I did glean from that conference there because it really was something that, that he emphasized there is that we ought to have joy in our lives. And if there's anybody on the face of the earth that would be joyful, I mean, don't sometimes you just think, there must be something wrong with me. To know what I know, to have experienced what I've experienced as a child of God, and, and for some reason I'm not joyful. What's wrong with me? Well, I want us to look at three aspects of, of the joy that, that we are to have, that we are to experience as a believer. First of all, we see from our text here that joy is something that is sought. It is a goal that is to be sought. Notice here that when the people of God, when they begin to prepare for the dedication of this wall, what do they do? They bring in the Levites. Verse 27. Now the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites from all their places to bring them to Jerusalem so that they might... Here's why they brought the Levites in. So that they might celebrate this dedication of the wall with what? With, my translation says that they might celebrate with gladness. With hymns of thanksgiving and with songs to the accompaniment of cymbals and harps and lyres. Why is that? You know, is this of the Levites? Are they the people in life? You know, that are just the the optimist of life. You know, they're, they're the people who they have this happy-go-lucky perspective of the world. They're never down. They're never discouraged. So they come and they call the Levites to stoke the emotional fires. These are the happy people. Let's bring that group of people in here so that we can all share in some joy and do do this with a spirit of gladness. Because these are people that just seem to always be happy. You know, is that the case here? Well, obviously. That's not. Who are these Levites that they're bringing in? Well, the Levites are the kinsmen and the brethren. We even see in verse 7 that it lists here the, the Levites have been brought in. It describes them. They were the heads of the priest and their kinsmen. It's the Levites. The Levites are the kinsmen or the brethren and the assistants to the priest. And notice what they do. They are the ones that are responsible for proper preparation. And look over in verse 30, where we read a few moments ago. It's the priests and the Levites. What do they do? They purified themselves. They also purified the people. What's involved here then? 
For proper preparation, there's to be the purifying of the Levites, of the priests, also a purifying of the people here. Because, and the people recognize that there is gladness and there is joy in matters toward God only if this issue of sin is addressed. We can't have joy. We can't have a sense of happiness and delight in the presence of God if we're conscious of sin. And if we're honest with ourselves, we recognize that we do have sin. And so to come into the presence of God, to be aware of the reality and the holiness of God, and to also have our own sin would not be joyful. If anything, it would be very condemning. That we would leave even here this morning as we gather at Cornerstone and and trusting to come and to worship and experience the presence of the Lord. Why is it we can do that and leave here with any sense of joy rather than coming in and feeling condemned because we've been in the, in the presence of a holy God and we know we have our own sinful hearts? It's only because we know that sin has been dealt with. That's the only reason. That's the only way it's possible unless we deceive ourselves and thinking that we can come any other way. And so the Levites represent this proper preparation of purifying themselves, of purifying the people. What did they do? It was some type of a ceremony. It was probably some sacrifices that were offered, but it represented the purifying of these people from their sins so that they might come and worship God in a spirit of joy and a spirit of gladness. It's a picture here of a people who've been reconciled. Those who were once opposed one to another. That's what reconcile means. Those who were once at odds against one another, they've been brought to terms of peace. Sinful men brought to terms of peace with a holy and a righteous God. As these people offer these sacrifices through the Levites by the priest. So it says in verse 44, in the lower part of the verse, it's the last part of it says, For Judah rejoiced, they were joyful. Judah rejoiced over the priest and the Levites who served. And why? For they performed the worship of their God and the service of purification. See, these people know that joy is to be a part of the experience. They weren't going to come to this dedication of the wall to God and be heavy. They understood to be in the presence of God was to be in a joyful place. And they wanted to come and to experience the joy that they should as the people of God. Deuteronomy chapter 12. I made reference here back a few weeks ago when we were looking at the chapter that speaks of the joy of the Lord is your strength. He said there that you shall rejoice in all of your undertakings in which the Lord your God has blessed you. You shall what? You shall rejoice. You shall rejoice. Verse 7 of chapter 12. Verse 12 of chapter 12 in Deuteronomy. You shall rejoice. You shall be joyful before the Lord your God. Verse 18 of Deuteronomy chapter 12. You shall rejoice before the Lord your God in all your undertakings. Be joyful in the presence of the Lord. That's the commandment of the law of God. So it's right to pursue joy. God calls us to. To be joyful. Go after it. You know, we don't have to come to church and, and lay aside all of our emotions and think that we're worshiping God rightly if, we, if we're prune-faced and pious and we don't show any emotion. To 
be honest with you, if we come and we have no joy, it's, it's a dishonor to the Lord. It's a dishonor to the sacrifice that's given to us in His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought to come with joy. Deuteronomy 28, verses 47 and 48. This is what God said to His people. Because you did not serve the Lord your God with joy and a glad heart. Because you didn't serve me with joy and a glad heart for the abundance of all things. Therefore, you shall serve your enemies. Joy, this is something that we have a tend to think it's optional, don't we? God's word to His people. Here's my judgment upon you because you did not serve me with joy in your hearts. You'll serve your enemies. It's to be sought. Psalm 100, verse 2. Serve the Lord with gladness. Is it more clear than that? Serve the Lord with gladness. Psalm 51, 12. David recognized this in his great repentance after his sin with Bathsheba and, and the murder of her husband. The sin against the nation. Sin against God. Restore to me the joy. Restore to me the joy of my salvation. David knew something was missing because of sin. And it was joy. Psalm chapter 5, or Psalm 5, verse 11. Let all that take refuge in you be glad. Let them ever sing for joy. Psalm 16, 11. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, pleasures forever. You know, the believer's experience is to be joyful. Why? Because you're right with God. We ought to think, we ought to think there's something wrong with this heart. If there's no joy. There's no joy. I understand that there are things that that can rob us of our joy. And we can go through seasons of and long seasons and periods without joy. But joy is to be a portion of the Christian experience. And certainly as we come into the presence of God, that we are to seek after joy. We're accepted into His presence and into His fellowship. Pursue joy in the Lord. How do you do that? How do I how do I become joyful in the Lord? Well, we do it by meditating on His greatness, taking the time just simply to think about Him, to think about His graces that He's given to us, to think about what it means to have been justified, to think about what it means to have been adopted into the family of God, to think about what it means for Jesus Christ, the Son of God, to be crucified on the cross, to take the place, to pay the penalty for your sin. Think about what that means. That God has done this. That your sin has been removed from you as far as the east is from the west. Can we not find any joy anywhere in that? To think about forgiveness. And to counter the joy robbers of the devil and even of our own hearts. The joy robber of condemnation. Boy, if you were really saved, you sure wouldn't have done that. Or God's not going to love you anymore against that. The joy robber of accusation. What's one of the names the Scripture gives us of Satan? He is the accuser of the brethren. 
Hey, one guy put it this way. He said, the devil's the kind of guy who comes and he, and he slings mud at you and he calls you dirty. That's what he does. He comes and he accuses. Makes accusation against our own hearts and our conscience. To counter the joy robber of lies. I mean, he comes with lies. He's the father of lies. And to embrace truth. There's enough truth that we can dwell upon to give our, just to take the time and to begin to think on these things. To take the time in the mornings to begin our day with the Lord and to say, Lord, I've gotten up this morning and I'm, I've been unconscious for the last eight hours or whatever amount of sleep you may have been blessed to have had. I've been completely unconscious for this great period of time. I'm awake and I'm not really very joyful right now. Would you direct my heart and my thoughts into those things of God? George Mueller recognized and he wrote down, he said that he considered his, the first duty of his heart in the, in the day was to get his heart to delight in God. Or he couldn't make it through the day. That's the first duty. To have his heart delighting in God. You know, how much time do we spend in our lives and we're joyless and we give no thought to it rather than going after it? It's a goal to be sought after. Go for it. It is also, as we see in our text here, it is a gift that is sent. <clears throat> yes, we are to pursue joy as God's people. And all, and all that means is, is to, to give time to thinking on the things of God, asking the Spirit of God to open our eyes to the spiritual realities. There's enough there. There's enough truth. There's enough wonder there that our hearts should be lifted in joy. But also recognize that it is a gift from God. Look with me in verse 43. On that day they offered great sacrifices and they rejoiced. Why? Because God had given them great joy. Because God had given them great joy. Now what way did God give them joy? Joy. Well, first of all, the most obvious thing that we see in the context of what we've been considering in the book of Nehemiah was he gave them material and physical success. There was this enormous task of rebuilding this wall. And it's done. A task, it's a work that had been left undone for many years because of the difficulty involved in it. They couldn't handle it. They wouldn't take it on. They were discouraged. And yet we see... In the early chapters of Nehemiah, and actually chapter 6, verse 15, that once Nehemiah came in there, that this job was completed of, of this massive work of rebuilding this wall in 52 days. Such a, such a, a miraculous work that it tells us there, that Nehemiah says in chapter 6, verse 16, that even the enemies, even the enemies recognized that God had helped them. They saw the hand of God in this. So there was joy given to them because God, He blessed them with material and physical success in this enormous task that was before them. But also, God gave them joy in that He had placed within them spiritual values. In other words, they could delight in spiritual realities. They could delight in the knowledge of their God because it's the true and the living God. They were, after all, God's covenant people. They had a history of God's revelation to them, to their forefathers, of God's covenant with Abraham and to them. God's covenant, the law given to, 
to Moses on Mount Sinai. They understood what it was to be in right standing with the true and the living God. And they valued His blessing. They valued His worship. They valued His glory. Why is that? Because God had given them, He had given to them hearts that delighted in spiritual realities that we can see the hand of God work and we can be joyful. And there's a world out there that sees, that sees the work of God's hands every day and there's no joy. But we can see it and be joyful. Because God's opened our eyes. That song we sang just a few minutes ago. The greens are greener, the blues are bluer. <laughs> the skies are bluer blue than it ever was before. I see these things, I've never seen them before. And they can they can bring joy to the heart. God's awakened us to spiritual values as he did his own people. They had God to give them great joy because he had awakened them. He had simply converted many of them. You know, the Lord God Almighty, He has done nothing less for us. How many times can we not say that God has blessed the endeavor of our hands? We've taken up a task as simple as mowing a lawn. And we can be done and say God's blessed the work of our hands. You know, the blessing and the, and the curse of a homeowner. There's always projects, but you can take on a project and we've got some going in our house all the time. Something's going on. There's a sense of, of recognizing when a task is done. God has blessed the labor, the endeavors of our hands. And rightly, we rejoice and are glad in these things and to acknowledge Him. But God has also done this. He has blessed us with spiritual values because we were those who once walked in darkness. We didn't see either. But we've been made to walk in the light. We were those who were once indifferent to the things of God. Once we were, in some capacity. I can remember the years that I sat in church, not the least bit interested in what was going on. Indifferent to the things of God. But what's God done? He's opened our eyes. We were those who could not accept, we could not receive the things of the Spirit of God. We looked at this morning in Sunday school. 1 Corinthians 2.14 but our eyes were opened by the work of His Spirit. We have experienced regeneration. We have been born again. And so He's given us a whole new value system. Those things that the world can look at and think nothing of, we cannot help but see the hand of God. And those things that the world has not tasted in the graces of salvation, the forgiveness of sin, and then spiritual values, they can't, they can't enjoy, they can't, they can't accept them, they have no appraisal system for them. We delight in those things. Truly, God has given to us joy in these things. We have great reason to be joyful. Receive God's gift. It's God's gift He gives to us as He had given them great joy to look at these things. And there's a satisfaction. There's a joy in our hearts in these things that once we cared nothing for. That's a gift of God. That's a gift of God. It's a gold salt. It's a gift sent. But also we see it as a glory that is shared. Look again in verse 43. They rejoiced because God had given them great joy. Even the women and children rejoiced so that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. The joy of Jerusalem 
was heard from afar. You know the joy that the church, the people of God had? It is our glory. It is our glory to shine forth to the world around us. It's a message. It's a message to a joyless world. And you know, we've got a world that's full of laughing. But it's a joyless world. Apart from Christ. What is the role of joy in the world? This thing is twofold. We see here that the, that the joy of Jerusalem was heard from afar. First of all, the role of joy is edifying to the struggling saint. Edifying to the struggling saint. Because there were certainly those in the midst here in Jerusalem, there were certainly those who were in the outlying areas and they were not entering into the joy that was taking place. Maybe they were burdened by their struggles just simply to live. Maybe they were burdened by, as they looked and they saw this Jerusalem rebuilt and this wall rebuilt. But no, it was nothing of the glory that it used to be. And so there was no joy. But as others who entered into this joyous occasion of dedication here, they expressed their joy, rejoicing in their God, Can you not think that it may have been of some encouragement to those who were hearing? There is a, once again, there is a joyful sound in the city of Jerusalem. So, one role of this sound is to edify to to the struggling saint. Those who are in the kingdom of God, but who are struggling. They have battles in their life. And the joy is squelched. One means that one means, not the only means, one means of encouragement is that they hear the joy of their fellow saints to know that, yes, there is. Yes, there is joy in the Lord. There is joy in Him. That's one role. What's another? The second is this. It is evangelism to the outsider. It is evangelism to the outsider. The joys, the sounds of this joy, they certainly reach the ears. If you remember, as we've read through the story of Nehemiah, had a host of enemies around them, didn't they? Host of enemies. Sanballat, Tobiah, all these guys out there waiting and longing for the opportunity to destroy this, to stop this work. The sounds of this joyful occasion in Jerusalem that heard from afar certainly reached the ears of some of their enemies. Enemies who served false gods. Enemies who had no joy in their religion. A joy that comes forth from the heart and because of the goodness and the glory of their God. And these, these enemies are like, man, our God is not so good. Our God is not so glorious. An opportunity as the joyful sound of the, of the people of God goes forth to those who are outside, those who are outside the kingdom, outside God's work, to hear it and to long for it. To want it. I would like to have that joy. A joy like that. So we need to be a joyful people. It's right before God simply because He's worthy. For no other reason, because of who God is, we ought to be, we're called to be a joyful people. 
but also it's an encouragement to our brothers and sisters in Christ that yes, joy can be found, but it is also a testimony to those outside the body of Christ. Those who still don't walk in opposition to God. There's joy in this religion. There's joy in Christianity. There's joy in a knowledge of the true and the living God. It's the glory of the church. It's the glory of the people of God. Joy going forth. Joy being heard. Encouraging the saints. Evangelizing the lost. Let's be joyful. Let's seek after it. Let's not be content with going through life and not being joyful. Let's go after it. Let's receive it. It's God's gift. He gives us joy. Let's take it. Take what He gives to us. And it's our glory. Let's express it. Express it. For the sake of one another. Express it because God is worthy. Express it for the sake of the world in which we live. In the midst of a joyless world. They can see the joy of God's people. and I want that. I long for that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to be the children of God. And we confess, Lord, the, the sin of which You brought judgment upon Your own people. And that is that we are often joyless. And the sad thing is that much of the time we consider that quite normal. Lord, would You not help us? Would You not send Your gift of joy and give us grace to pursue after all of our heart? Oh, to be joyful in the things that are right and good and holy. We give thanks to You in Jesus' name.